And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to Rates and Barrels. It's Tuesday, May 30th. Derek Van Riper, Eno Saris, Chris Welsh, all here with you on a Project Prospect edition on this episode. We're going to talk about some players we want to add in long-term leagues and some that we're willing to part with in long-term leagues as well, because we hit that point, the Memorial Day weekend, it's special. Something about it makes everyone's internal clock, the alarm clock goes off, and everyone has to start making moves. Everyone has to choose a direction now, because we're 50-plus games in. A third of the season is enough. A quarter of the season, not enough. A third of the season, just right. So it's time to choose direction. Lots of news to get to on this episode as well. Maybe even a mailbag question or two. Uh, you know, it looks like you uh, survived your trip to the Wisconsin Dells. Like, you're still in one piece. It does look like you may have gone hunting. Is that I was a about to say, you do look like you're about to go get some elk or something, you know? No, it's some weird it's like dragon, a dragon hat okay. that I've had forever. Oh, it's a dragon. Okay, I thought it was a camo hat. Yeah, it looks kind of like camo. Yeah, it was fun. It was crazy. Uh, this uh, this place, I, I feel like uh, I can't believe it exists because it's like three or four bars and restaurants uh, and inside a hotel with a water park. And so I'm like, I couldn't help but look around and be like, the liabilities here must be through the roof. <laughs> is this similar? It's so weird that you're doing this. Uh, in two days, I'm going to Great Wolf Lodge. Is this like a That's great... where I was. Oh, that, that's where I'm going. I'm going. There's yeah. a whole bunch of yeah. 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 here. Because I was about to say, it's very interesting, the whole drinking and the water park, because I'm about to go to a place that's exactly like that. Okay, yeah. So I will be there the on The kids Thursday. loved it. The kids loved it. They had a great time. Uh, it was a, a bit of a money suck. They've designed everything to be like the wristband. Oh, yeah, the wristband. And so you're just like, ah, just put it on the car, you know, yep. <laughs> like, just, just, just put another shrimp on the Barbie. And then, and then like, uh, <laughs> You know, they have all these like if, like these activities for the kids. The kids like, well, I want to do the mind maze, Dad. I want to do the mind maze, and like you know, more of it should be included, I think, because you're like, oh, fifty dollars for the mind maze. How long is this gonna take? And then you're like, oh, fifteen minutes later, you're outside again. You're like, no, fifty dollars. That. So don't do the mind maze. I would say. <laughs> I do think they that, that at some point they're going to implement that into baseball, where they're be like, "All right, you can't bring your credit card in. We're just going to attach your credit card to this little wristband, and everyone's going to be like, oh, hot dogs for everybody and beer for everybody.' And that it's a really good psychological <laughs> trick, but you got to like trick back a little bit. Yeah, you don't have to actually take your wallet out. <laughs> I know. Like, yeah. Uh, like, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll have this. I'll one. It wasn't later. enough. Yeah. It wasn't enough to take the cash and make that a piece of plastic. Now we got to make the piece of plastic in your back pocket, a piece of plastic on, on your, your wrist. wrist. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> now we can speed up the process even more and make you feel even further removed from the money that you don't. So have. rates and barrels is going to be uh, um, a lot more broke after this. He knows broke. I'll be broke in a couple of days. So DVR, it's all on you now. I'm moving across the country in six weeks, so I'm baby, pretty so much broke. Yeah, you have a baby. Yeah. <laughs> Send money to family for a little while. <laughs> yeah, if you want to just Venmo me money to help with my move, I probably wouldn't turn it down right now. So <laughs> for sure, that's where we're at right now. Uh, but let's dig in. Royce Lewis is back. 
made an impact his first game back as well. He had a home run. Uh, we talked about the Twins a few weeks ago on this show. Kyle Farmer was sort of keeping the seat warm for Royce Lewis, and it seems like as long as the health holds up, the Twins are going to push Royce Lewis's playing time, if not to an everyday role, to something very close to it. It's been a very long road for Royce Lewis. You know, Before the multiple ACL injuries, he'd finally started to put all the pieces together in the upper levels of the minor leagues. So, Welsh, I'll start with you. Like, What do we think Royce Lewis is going to become as a big league player? Where is he right now in terms of his redraft value, and what do you still see for him in terms of keeper and dynasty ceiling? So from like a redraft perspective, I think he lives in this world of like, Anthony Volpe, um, Mace, uh, Matt McClain. I think like he exists with those guys. And so wherever you value them in redraft, that's the type of spot that he is. Uh, I'm really intrigued with how the team is approaching him. And I, I said this on the show yesterday. It's funny because I think he might be a really actually good buy opportunity right now because I think he gets clumped in because those twins have just been turning out prospects. And also, like, Jose Miranda didn't work. So you got all these guys that are kind of seen as turnstile but Kirloff didn't get that. Like, Kirloff just came and boom, right into it. And Royce Lewis is not Edward Julian. And, you know, he is not Trevor Larnick. And he's not Jose Miranda. They brought him in, threw him at third, and threw him hitting five. The, the day he was eligible off of the 60 day, he had a great run in the minors, four homers, two stolen bases, hit 333. And I think they are full go with him. The nice thing is he's also uh, flexible across where he can play. This third base thing actually happened um, a couple years back when I talked to him in the Arizona Fall League. He had said, you know, they invited him to go, but they said he can't play shortstop. They got their shortstops. It was um, Geraldo Perdomo and Vidal Brujan at the time. And it was his decision, at least he told me, it was his decision to go and play other spots. They didn't ask him. And then it just so happened that he then started playing other, every other position after that because I think the Twins saw the versatility. So he can play short, obviously. Craig gets hurt. He looks good at third. He can play second. He's played center field. And if you can play center field, you can play the other outfield spots. That type of versatility, this team doesn't have. You know, these other rookies, it's one spot. Edward Julian, bad defense at second. They haven't tried anything else. So Royce has got the bat. Royce has got the versatility. So I think that even maybe gives him an advantage to live with Volpe and McLean as far as fantasy value goes. And if we're being frank, I would prefer Royce's fantasy value over McLean, even though how good McLean's been. And then in a long-term perspective, I think Royce should be seen, if you want to rank it against prospects, he should be seen in the top 10 or 15 overall prospects. Um, I think there's a little bit of worry you have to carry because of like multiple injuries. The guy has barely played since 2019. So this injury thing could follow him and everything could fall apart. So that, I think from a pure talent perspective, he could be top five, but you got to base it back down. So top 10 or 15 prospect, probably hovering right around top 100 dynasty in that space. And as he gets playing more, doesn't get hurt and the team does vibe with him and let him maybe be the future third baseman, his value is only going to increase because he is a total five tool player. I love Royce Lewis. Yeah, I just uh it's so interesting when you've got this these multiple injuries by 23, you know, uh the some of the research out of football suggests that, you know, once you have an ACL injury, you don't return necessarily all the way to your previous self. But we also know that you know, things like labrum surgery on pitchers. If you have it way earlier, you're more likely to be able to have a career afterwards. Anibal Sanchez and Julio Urias 
both had labrum surgery and managed to have uh, good careers afterwards. And part of it was because they had it when they were 21 or 22. Uh, so, you know, there's something here where it's bad that he had the ACL surgeries, uh, but it's good that he had them early, maybe. Um, I do think that I'm going to cap his seasonal stolen base total. Uh, I'm going to put his peak at around 10, maybe 15. I just can't believe that somebody with two ACL surgeries on his resume is going to be a 20, 30 stolen base guy going forward. So if I cap his stolen bases at around 10, um, I also think his power is still a bit of an open question mark. Uh, where we have more sample, it was more closer to league average in the minors. Uh, so you may have this kind of uh, 250, 2010 guy, um, you know, that uh, is is not um, n- as much of a needle mover as he was, I think, before the surgeries. I mm-hmm. think you have to you have to throw that into your mix when you're analyzing him. Um, yeah. So, you know, and then does that affect his ability to play short? Like, would he, if Correa has to move off short, would, would Royce Lewis be their first choice uh, at short is, is kind I think of a it big would. question mark. I think it yeah. would. I think he was playing there. I think that's kind of the advantage. You know, the, the strikeouts have always been a little bit of a worry with, with me, with Royce. He's got the big high leg kick, which he doesn't really see sometime. And he, yeah, and where did they, they came from all of a sudden? Like now, post-injury, he's been striking out a lot. That's the only bad thing that he's done since he's come back. I think it's missed time. You know what I like in it, too? Remember we did the same thing with, like, I mean, it actually kind of has been a problem, but uh, Josh Young. Remember Josh Young? Like, it wasn't in his profile. He missed serious, injury. serious time oh, okay. to injury. Timing due to injury rather than physical limitation due to injury. Exactly right. I mean, the guy mm-hmm. literally, Royce Lewis, since 2019 has like around 50 games played. So, you know, the amount of time, think of how the ball is kind of changed and just the game is kind of readjusting. I I liken it to what Josh Young went through and maybe it's going to take a little bit longer, but the stats are there. I think this might be, I'm not sure what this is, but if you were to give me a full season of Royce, I think Royce Lewis is going to be a better fantasy asset than Carlos Correa. Like Carlos Correa is just kind of like, He's fine. Like average is okay. He never lives up to the homers. Running RBI numbers are all right. He misses a handfuls of games. I think Royce's game in general can be more valuable. I think he could score more runs. I think he can steal more bases. He could hit for if he can stay on the field. If he can stay on the field. But that's also why I'm not here being like, okay, guys, you know, it's Wanda Franco, then it's Royce Lewis. It's like, no, it's like <laughs> he belongs in the conversation of like, does Volpe have warts? Yeah. Is batting average? I think stinks. actually. He- he could belong around Jung, and I think they're they're linked uh, by more than uh, by a lot by injury history. Yeah. Um, and I I think you're right. I looked at the daily. If you look at the daily, uh, you know we got we we actually got some feedback that uh, we did uh, stuff that was not um, friendly to the audio only listeners because we were doing some some heat maps. Oh, our, yeah, but, yeah, and our uh, we have we have YouTube episode, watchers. Yeah. So I put it up in the chat if you want to if you want to share this. This is the daily strikeout, uh, the rolling strikeout chart for uh, Josh Jung, and you can see uh, there was a little return to peak, and and it was like is bad, but uh, he's back again. Like his true talent strikeout rate might be under twenty five percent or around twenty five percent. Because we're not, we don't really have his true talent yet. You know what I mean? So I think we may see something similar with Royce Lewis where he comes on and, uh, uh, 
you know, he he's striking out a lot at first, but he kind of gets back to where he was before. Yeah, I don't know. That graph didn't like generate for me. Maybe it would for DVR and DVR could share it. But I will point out there in that episode. Oh, yeah, there it goes. In that episode, uh, I did say, go let's go watch the YouTube. I did tell people for that episode, <laughs> go watch the YouTube because we're going to be showing some of that stuff. But yeah, there you go. There's the rolling chart. I mean, we can also describe charts, I guess. I just feel like that's a worse audio experience than saying there's a chart. Of <laughs> so the line is up. <laughs> the line starts to go down. It comes back up a little bit more, and then it goes down again. But in like the last 15 to 20 games, uh, you know, in the last 15 games or so, he's been he's been trending around 25% strikeout rate. Yeah, it's strong. Yeah, I think that's that's really encouraging to see. Ever try to break a bad habit and feel like you're climbing Everest in flip-flops? We've all been there, but here's a breath of fresh air. Fume. It's not about giving up. It's about switching up. Fume takes your habit and simply makes it better, healthier, and a whole lot more enjoyable. Fume is an innovative, award-winning flavored air device that does just that. Instead of vapor, fume uses flavored air. Instead of electronics, fume is completely natural. And instead of harmful chemicals, fume uses delicious flavors. You get it. Instead of bad, fume is good. It's a habit you're free to enjoy and makes replacing your bad habit easy. Start the year off right with the good habit by going to tryfume.com slash barrels, getting the journey pack today. Fume is giving listeners of the show 10% off when they use our code barrels to help make starting the good habit that much easier. Start the good habit at tryfume.com slash barrels to save 10% off the journey pack today. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms or restrictions apply. The other thing I would throw out there with Royce Lewis before we move on, look at how much he was running during his rehab assignment. All right? He, he played 10 so games between AA and AAA. He was 4 for 5 as a base dealer in 10 games, and that was with 4 home runs. Four, 4 swings that kept him from stealing bases because he hit home runs. So I kind of get the sense that maybe he's more in that my leg feels good and I'm going to play the way I want to play mm. instead of holding back just based on stealing bases in pretty meaningless rehab games i guess they're slightly more meaningful coming off that second injury but i don't know it doesn't seem like it's bothering him enough to hold him back opportunity wise Uh, if it's a low average 2020 profile that plays really well interesting that uh, he is in that bucket with volpe and mclean i think the big difference for me with lewis versus mclean it's easier to see how royce lewis clearly fits with the twins or this versatility Mm. we talked about it when we talked about mclean last week open position that's going to become too crowded eventually it's not a short-term concern, but it's still more of a long-term concern there. So I think that gives Lewis a bit of a bump you know, as well. That, that's very interesting you brought that up because the, that, oh God, was it was it Rosenthal that just did the article? The really interesting in article India, that, that yeah. just posted here on The Athletic. And I've been talking about a couple people with it because it, it stood out as almost odd to me. In the article was based obviously around Ellie, by the way, which you guys should go read. It's a very interesting article because it's talking about Ellie is coming. Ellie, De La Cruz also made a post on his Instagram. It was a picture of him in a Reds uniform and it was post Malone's congratulations. So people were kind of extrapolating, <laughs> you know, that he's coming. But in the article, outside of the Ellie portion was like the Reds have a decision to make with Jonathan India. And I found that odd because 
do they? Do they have? I mean, because you're bringing up a good point. Where does Matt McLean sit? But do the Reds have really have a, a thing to deal with with Jonathan? Because Jonathan India is described as their team leader. He plays second base. The idea here is Matt McLean plays a much better second base than he does shortstop and would be better fit there. But I just I couldn't I couldn't get past this this clump of where the Reds are at in that Jonathan India would be a guy that's truly on the outs, and I don't think that's the case because. You could just be status quo, and it's Indy at second, McLean at short, Ellie can play third, which he did every time McLean played short in the minors, and then you can figure it out next year. But does anybody think like India would be on the outs if Ellie is to come up? I don't think you would stop playing him. I think the interesting thing with Jonathan India, if you look at his career so far, he's closing in on 1,300 plate appearances, so about two full seasons worth of plate appearances at the big league level. And he's got a 111 WRC plus. Clearly a better than average player, but he's already 26. He went to college, had some injuries in the minors, lost a 2020 minor league season like everybody else did. I don't think he blocks your current crop of prospects if you think those guys are actually better. Ellie De La Cruz fits on this roster with Jonathan India and with Matt McClain. They can make the pieces fit. I'm not worried about that. I think the bigger threats to McClain and to India, I guess, if there are threats to India are the guys that have not been promoted yet. And they're a little further away. So they have some time to work this out. I think Jonathan India is more like the kind of player that maybe the Reds would trade this summer. Kind of getting out in front of it, saying, hey, there's a team I mean, that actually wants an upgrade. I think that's what the piece was suggesting, is that, that that they might do that. He's about to head into his arbitration years and become more expensive. But if I was running the Reds and I had at least uh, you know, two or three uh, starting pitchers that I was excited about and this infield that is, uh, seems to be pretty killer. Um, I think I would just play steer at first and in the corner outfield as uh, an idea that steer would eventually take over first base from Joey Votto. Um, and then that pretty much solves everything, right? You got Matt McClain and Ellie De La Cruz on the left. You got India and steer on the right. And that's your future. Yeah, and right. Christian Encarnacion Strand is your DH, which is in a great spot. He can spot. be a DH, or maybe he could play. Uh, maybe he could play just a good enough outfield to to not be DH. And then if it does get down to uh, Noel V. Marte, like pushing on the door, then maybe that's when you trade India. If or you try up Noel V. Marte in the outfield, like corner outfield is a place where any of these guys can go eventually. Yeah, I guess yeah. my whole point was like it didn't. I didn't feel like India played any role in what the Reds need to do with any of these players. Like, I don't think the Reds have, I, I don't see, I don't see the path, but I'm not talking to people where India is disposable at this point or blocks all these players. There's so many other players we've talked at nauseam, like Henry Ramos and Stuart Fairchild, like even Nick, right. even Nick Senzel, <laughs> yeah. like those guys aren't re, aren't the true reason why you would push any of these guys back. But of all of them, Jonathan India, I think, is one you don't even think about uh, in all of it. And all of these players are going to be coming soon. And uh, I just thought that was the you know that was an, an interesting space of where they're at. But you know, they also could move Jonathan India in whatever trade purge they decide to do uh, in the coming months. Yeah, like Nick Senzel should not be blocking anybody. He has been better this year. But he 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 probably won't be a league average player. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> that's that's a good way to look at it. The other thing on India that stands out is just looking at the career splits. He's a two sixty three fifty two four oh six slash line player outside of Cincinnati. It's a four forty nine slug in Great American Ballpark. Only four oh six on the road. So 
some questions about the power. He controls the zone well. He's a good player. I just don't think it's a big deal. Like, what happens to Jonathan India long term? I'm not that worried about it. He's not. He's good enough to play. He's better than all those guys you mentioned. But he's not someone that's keeping you from doing something else with players that you like a little better bit when too, that time comes. Too close to Colton Wong to get too excited about. Hmm. And then Colton right. Wong had the had the like really impressive defense on top of. Him. Would you rather Royce Lewis right now or cut him to get Ellie, knowing we don't know what we know? You know what I'm saying? Like you, you don't know when Ellie's coming up. Could happen tomorrow, but Ellie's there to pick up. But you have to eat it until he's there. Would you rather bet on Ellie for whenever, or bet on Royce right now? I think I bet on Ellie De La Cruz as opposed to Royce Lewis if I'm trying to just max out my ceiling for right now. I would too. You know any different? I hate to get. I hate to be a basic biatch. I mean, it's just so you're just so excited about the fancy new bobble, but Royce Lewis is playing in the big leagues and whatever, you know, Ellie's not post, whatever Ellie's posting on, it doesn't mean that he's actually up. And, you know, and even though he's really improved his strikeout rate, it's still 27%. You know, like there's a lot of different ways that could, this could go when Ellie gets the big leagues. Royce Lewis seems a little bit more projectable and like, you know, even my concerns about his strikeout rate, it's like, he's going to probably play every day and, Maybe steal some bases and yeah, but Ellie's Ellie's too exciting. Ellie's very pretty. <laughs> Ellie's a very shiny toy. It's a very very yeah. shiny pretty toy. You know, it's uh, it's brutal. Uh, let's move on to the Dodgers, where Bobby Miller has created separation from Gavin Stone to the point that Gavin Stone was actually just optioned to AAA as of Tuesday morning. So uh, that ongoing battle is over at this point. Bobby Miller does look really good as expected, so all of this uh, checks out. Uh, are you guys at the point with Bobby Miller based on the injury that he had earlier in the season and what seems like a reduced concern about how his innings could be managed by the Dodgers outside of maybe the all-star break? Do you think this could be the best of the rookie pitchers that have been called up? Is it safe to kind of put him at the top of that list right now, given some of the injuries we've had with Mason Miller, uh, given the issues we had with Taj Bradley getting sent down this does this seem more sticky that Bobby Miller, because of the Dodgers' needs, is actually up for good, you know? Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, I really like Bryce Miller, but <laughs> he just got shellacked. <laughs> but, like, we knew and, that was going to happen. We knew the Bryce thing was going to happen. Is that real? Like, was that as bad as you think it is? We saw the secondaries, by the way, um, not to turn it to Bryce, but Bryce was only like 57 or 58% fastball. We saw a ton of curve. We saw sliders. It was ineffective, but it was a disastrous outing. But like, does that one outing really change a ton off of Bryce Miller? I love his fastball. Yeah. I mean, it's relevant to the question at hand, right? Because I think Bryce Miller and Bobby Miller and... Tanner Bybee and Todd <laughs> Bradley. That's my that's my cl- that's that's the super four, right? Those are the best four. Well, Yuri, if he didn't say Yuri, I think Yuri, is the best of Logan all. Yuri, Logan Allen. I see. Like two weeks ago or last week, you were you're out I on know, rookie pitchers. Now there's, and I, now there's I, so I many know. I can't decide. <laughs> if I had to A rank them for the rest of this year, I think I would go. Uh, and and this thanks to one reader. One reader was like. You keep saying you like Logan Allen better than, than Tanner Bybee. Why? And then on, uh, I went and looked at the numbers. And was like, I don't know why I keep saying that. So I have reevaluated my priors. He's also, am, by the way, was incorrect. our baseball savant episode. Um, he was a, he would have been a great one for us to talk about because his numbers look great. 
and he had just a wild. He has a wildly bad savant page. If you go and look, it's all blue. Tanner Bybee. Yeah, no, uh, Logan Allen. Logan Allen has oh, a yeah. horrific looking savant page. Yet his numbers. Well, I know. like Logan Allen better than Consensus. I will put him in this group, and some people might put him outside this group. But for me, the top three, if I'm ranking them, probably goes something like Bybee, Bobby Miller, Bryce Miller, Bradley. You're forgetting Yuri, though. Where does Yuri sit in there? Or is he not there for you? Okay, Yuri ahead of Bradley. Because Yuri's number one That's for me. That's my five. Yuri's number one for you? The only thing that would maybe keep me from putting Yuri number one is just that I think of a lot of, of all these guys, maybe the, the biggest pair of kid gloves as far as how careful the Marlins want to be with him yeah, probably are being not... used on Yuri Perez. They're they're not they're also probably not a competitive team although now they're tw- they're in second place. I've made my case for the Marlins. I will not make it again. Ah, <laughs> uh, this is hard. Okay, Bobby, Yuri, Bryce, Bobby, mm, Bobby Bryce. <laughs> there we go. That's yeah. my final answer. DVR, what's yours? The, the- Every time you do that list, it's going to be a little different because you're going to talk yourself into something yeah. different. The weird I thing think... is, Bobby's stuff plus numbers are great. Um, he has given up hard contact, which I I, do, I only mention because it, it exists. I don't think it's predictive. We've talked about that very much on the Savant thing. Uh, but Miller hasn't been getting, uh, Bobby Miller hasn't been getting whiffs like I'd expect yeah. from this high stuff uh, profile. And that continues not getting whiffs at the AAA. And so now... I, I wouldn't say, oh, like he has high stuff plus numbers and low whiff rates and it's 11 innings in. I would, But then now it's actually 25 innings in to low whiff rates, you know, because you can actually sort of lump the AAA in if you want to. Um, and so now uh, now you're really kind of pushing. It has to be like your best argument for Bobby Miller right now is stuff plus related. Mm. So I think I'm I think I'm Bobby Miller. Oh, it's like him versus Bybee for the top, and then Yuri ahead of Taj Bradley. Bradley versus Bryce Miller's another toss-up for me, and then Logan Allen's next. I I think you could include him in the group, but I do think he's, he's last he's for me last. of the group. He's last. In the group, yeah, yeah, I think that's that's the toughest. The top, the top for me, Bybee versus Bobby Miller is actually the the biggest battle right now. How do you have him, Welsh? This is just for this season. Yeah, for I would go. I'm still gonna go Yuri because I think Yuri's the best of the group. And what are you going to justify by bringing him down? Maybe kids gloves. Yeah, sure. Maybe they don't want to push it, but I think they're going to push him. I think they brought him up to push him. Um, and the discussion had been like, would he only be up for a couple of weeks when the injuries come back or will he be there rest of season? And I think he's ended that. Like, I don't think there's any justification why you don't have him up. So I'm going to go Yuri. I'm going to go with Bryce. I don't want to give up on Bryce off of one start against the Yankees. So I don't want mm-hmm. that to be my decision maker. And then I'm going to go Bybee Bobby. And I think that whole group, razor thin margins between all of them. <laughs> I think that group is very, very close together. And I think, you know, if, if two weeks from now we didn't look at Bobby Miller's number one, we did, I wouldn't be shocked. I, I think things can happen with all of these guys. Guardians could do something insanely stupid uh, with their rotation stuff, and Bybee could be gone. You know, Bobby Miller could be sent down. The Dodgers are still kind of like, well, we're going to give him one more start. And uh, like you said, with Yuri Perez, anything could happen. So I think they all have their own kind of inherent risk, and we could talk ourselves in and out of them staying in the rotation. So if I just want to like focus on the, the the pure stuff and the production, 
I'm going to stick uh, with that group. Yeah, it's interesting to look at how many pitches these guys are throwing on a start-by-start -start basis right now. Bobby Miller, 95 pitches in his debut against Atlanta, 87 in his start against the Nationals on Monday. So doesn't look like there's any sort of real like tight workload restriction on him. Bybee has been up for a little longer now. 98 last time out, 99 the start before that, 98 pitches the start before that. Had one shorter outing because he got hit, where he threw 67 against the Tigers back on May 8th. But he was over 90 pitches in his first two starts before that. They're using him like a regular big league starter. So I think that's that's one of the things I think can be a little bit of a separator. We want guys who have a chance yeah. to win, and we want guys who uh, you know, like aren't going to be managed too carefully. And I think that's the sweet spot for me. And also, like all both. those pitchers, uh, except for Yuri, uh, great team contacts. That's the thing that I'm not giving credit for. Like wins are going to mm -hmm. come at such a better degree. I was looking at um, Hunter Brown over the weekend. You know, and Hunter Brown has been just so phenomenal. But uniquely enough, Hunter Brown in he's had six starts where he's gone five or more. He has wins in five of those six starts. So five of six starts going at least five innings. Hunter Brown picks up a win on the Astros. It's not a one for one, of course, but then you go and take a look at guys like, um, you know, I get Bryce Miller might be a little bit even further down, but Bobby Miller and Tanner Bybee playing on really just two great team contexts. You're just going to pick up extra wins and we still play for wins. So that is a little slight advantage. Those really good teams with those. Yeah, high I wasn't including prospects. Hunter Brown. That's interesting. I yeah. mean, Hunter, we're talking about pickups in season, right? Yeah, and like the rookie pick. I mean, he. I, th I think we're not talking about him because he separated himself. He's just mm -hmm. so far and beyond trustworthy and good. He's now like a veteran. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. He get a hundred percent because he started the year complete. It's it's almost like we don't talk about Corbin Carroll and Gunnar Henderson as rookies because they started the year, and we don't put them in the same respect of Jordan Walker or Anthony Volpe or anything like that because they're just they're a different breed for sure. Yeah, that little extra time from last year does seem to change the conversation around them a little bit. I think Hunter Brown is interesting because we decided we wanted to talk about some longer-term trade targets. And a couple of weeks ago, I suggest that if you're playing for the future, trading for pitching is pretty risky. Now, if you're playing for next year and not this year, you will need pitching to win next year. So you do have to identify pitchers you like and either have them already, pick them up, or go trade for them. And Welsh, Hunter Brown was one of the players that popped for you as someone that if you were playing for the not-so-distant future, he'd be someone you'd be seeking out right now. The biggest surprise for me continues to be the improvements with his control. Yeah. He's only walked three batters in his last four starts combined, and he's racked up 30 strikeouts during that span. Yeah, and I agree I agree with you overall. Like, you know, long-term stuff, it's difficult to invest in pitching. And I think, like, the overall dynasty perspective of so many has always been, like, trade off all your pitching, develop all your hitting, and then try to buy pitching back. I've kind of openly said, and I think, DVR, you've kind of agreed with me because we've seen the context in some leagues we've played in together. In theory, that's fun and nice. It does not work that. Every every league, and I play in so many different type of keeper leagues, 16-team, 12-team, Otno, 24-team points. Guess what's the most difficult thing? Buying pitching at all times. So, this theory that like you can just buy pitching after you've done your rebuild and it'll be super easy, it's not because 
as long as it took you to rebuild, it might take that long to acquire the right pitching to make it work. So I don't think it should be completely discounted. I don't think everybody in Dynasty should just sell off all their pitchers and never um, try to acquire. The problem is, is people that want to kind of take advantage of you in trades, they tend in Dynasty ones, they want to like have things focused on pitching and you don't want hardcore pitching focused prospect trades, but there are guys that you can make the push on. And Hunter Brown, I really do think is one of those. I mean, he has been every bit the part. He's been better in May than he has on the entire season. He's been up in Aaron Sierra. His strikeout rate's been up there. K minus walk percentage. He's walking less. He's cut his walk percentage into the sevens off of the eights last year. His K percentage has gone up. And like I told you, he's also, as he's going deeper into games, he's locking down wins left and right. He legit is going to win the AL Rookie of the Year, and I never really gave him consideration as far as like a rookie pitcher. He's going to win that award. Yoshida, no. Uh, Volpe, it's not going to happen unless he hits 280, 290 through the rest of the year. So, I mean, he's going to win this award. And this is a guy that, and the whole crux of it is, I think you could have people, like why would a winning now team want to sell a guy like him? Well, he's a rookie. They might feel he's playing over his head. And innings caps. Innings caps for smart dynasty players are something everyone's always thinking about. So if you are in more of a rebuild and you happen to have some veteran pitchers that maybe don't fit the scheme over the next two years that, you know, you could look and try to condense. And Hunter Brown is, I think, as good as he's been, I think he's acquirable in that people can really worry about what's going to happen on the back half of the season with cap limits. And that that's why he's someone I would target because, and I also don't think he's moved into the tier a value where he belongs. You know, like we, you talk about blocks of like maybe like top 10 pitchers and then 20 and 30 and 40. I think he probably sits somewhere in those like 40s for people, but he's got the upside to be a top 25 within the next 12 months, if not higher. So um, I I would put him as like a trade target and I bet it wouldn't, it wouldn't hurt too much in trades if you could get him if you were trading for the future. Yeah, I, I think you might be right about that. I was just looking at the, the NFBCs running some second chance leagues. They've got three that drafted already that have an ADP report oh, from May. And Hunter Brown is the 53rd pitcher being taken. That includes closers, so probably somewhere in the 35 to 40 range among starters. I'm surprised, though, to see Sonny Gray, Tristan McKenzie slightly ahead. Yeah, McKenzie. Let's see. Yeah, that's cap limit right there. That I mean, that scream. Am I wrong? You know, that screams cap uh, inning issues with Hunter Brown for McKenzie to be above him. I think that's built in because if you look at last season, it was 126 in the third innings for Hunter Brown. He's at 57 and two thirds right now. It's an Astros team that intends to be in the playoffs. They want Hunter Brown in that. They need Hunter Brown in that rotation come playoff time. So there will probably be some some kind of handle with care in September at the very least, just to make sure that he's got enough left in the tank to help them when they need it the most. But the best case for Hunter Brown, in addition to the skills getting better, I think is that next year's projected workload is going to be basically the same as anybody else in the pool. You're not going to give up that many potential innings compared to everybody else. And you might be getting ace caliber ratios and a great strikeout rate to go with it. When you're talking about like trades and you're kind of like processing it, you know, if you're because I've seen this, this has kind of like happened with me and the trade offers have come in is like maybe if you were kind of rebuilding and you had a guy like Sandy Alcantara, you don't want to sell at the lows. But, you know, you could probably sell a guy like Sandy to a team that wants the bounce back and maybe you could get. And and, and I think sometimes it's silly trading guys like that in a dynasty, even when you're rebuilding, because he can help you in two years. But it's like maybe you could get 
Hunter Brown plus in a Sandy trade. You know, you could get young guys. Maybe you could get like a solid prospect that's going to come up in the next, um, you know, year or so. A CES. Maybe you get CES and Hunter Brown in a rebuild and maybe like a pick when you trade off a of Sandy Alcantara. And it's like, what really, you know, maybe even next year will look like the massive difference. Maybe it's going to be laughable at that point. But, you know, those are the type of things you could explore with a guy like Hunter Brown. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Another thing that I like to do uh, when looking for pitching is something pretty simple, which is uh, sort by stuff plus with ERA on the on the on the on the field. Look at the different pitch types and be like, you know, what I want is someone with a good good fastball, and I think that they could add something to it. So a real easy one. I don't think that it's necessarily a buy low in capital letters, but Hunter Green. You know, people could be looking at him and saying, well, there are definite flaws here. He's a two-pitch guy with not great command in a bad park. It's a 4-2 ERA right now, and that might just be who he is. And I think there's another level to it. So you you could buy somebody like Hunter uh, Hunter Green um, you know, using a veteran. And then you could do something more simple, even where you just sort by uh, fastball stuff plus. And now you're looking... Um, at uh, pitchers like Michael Kopech is on this list, you know, uh, Mackenzie Gore, uh, you know, maybe people think he's he's topped out. Uh, love the Gore is. call. That would be another one of those guys. I'd love to acqu- acquire like Grayson Gore and Rodriguez. Brown. Not a bad time to buy. Mm. I mean, the word on the street is that Grayson Rodriguez is tipping, and the teams have found it through Hawkeye, and that they found his something that he's tipping through Hawkeye. I'm sure that's what he's going to go to the minor leagues and work on other than also finding something other than the cutter that works for him. So, you know, Grayson Rodriguez is a guy I'd buy. Clark Schmidt still shows on this list. He's got a 560 RA, but if you look at his start-by-start performance, he's had good starts and he has a wide arsenal. There could be a Clark Schmidt where he just finds the right pitch mix and finds his way out of it. JP France has been up and down. He has no prospect 
uh, sheen to him at all. No, I don't. No prospect rankers put JP France anywhere in their top. Am I? I'm going to be wrong. Somebody has him in their top 100, but I don't. I don't remember seeing him in any top 100s. He's got a 111 staff fastball stuff plus. He's had some up and down starts. Maybe somebody thinks they're selling high on him. That's a guy I'd buy. Yeah, I mean, JP France is pretty interesting in long term leagues because the lack of pedigree, the fact that he's already 28 years old, you're not going to, have to give up a lot to get him. If you're trading for him, there's a chance the team that picked him up has enough pitching already or isn't playing for this year and doesn't view him as an essential long-term piece. They might be happy to get something they like better, someone who's younger, someone who hasn't debuted in the big leagues yet. There could be a lot of ways to make a deal for a player like that. And it looks like a solid arsenal and there's a clear need. And we've seen this is a Houston team that doesn't really go out and spend money on starting pitching. They don't go out and get mediocre starting pitching to fill in spots. They trust their internal options. So... France looks like he's at least the guy for the foreseeable future to hold a spot in the back of the rotation, but there's a decent chance that he's a starter for them to begin next year based on what he's doing right Especially now. Especially after Lance McCullers got shut down, like, again, had another setback. So Did he? Yeah, yeah another setback oh, over the God, weekend. So, you know, I, I agree with that one. Those are the fun ones. I mean, that, that there's t- so many different scopes of the type of players that you can buy into from the future, from the high to the lows. And uh, you had some really good names in there, you know. Yeah, Are there some Nick, uh, some guys Lodolo who Lodolo maybe belongs on there? I don't know. I per- a, like maybe. like Lodolo is a hundred percent one of those for me. But like I have a hard time with the Reds guys because the the, the team context the has been not... bad. The park factors are horrible. I think yeah. Lodolo clearly. Uh, outside of even the injury that we saw, um, was struggling throughout the year. The curveball never got right. It was such a dominant pitch. But he also, if you go and look through like expected stats, he's like wild. He's like in the top three of everything of like differentials, like batting average given up to actual expected batting average in his favor. Every one of those down the road, just keep going in favor of him. You write the curveball. I think he's a phenomenal buy right now, but I think him, Hunter Green, they both have a ton of inherent risk. Just the good thing is like, I think Lodolo is at the absolute lowest ever. So I would take the risk, even if he blows up, because I bet you the cost is so much different than like what Hunter Green is. But we know what those other worries are. I've been trying to trade Justin Verlander um, because I'm, you know, in Devil's Rejects, I'm like, you know, six or something. And I don't know that we're going to end up in the top two. And we want to stay, we, we want to stay, we're not, we're not like a, we don't like to rebuild, fully rebuild uh, me and James Anderson. Um, and so we've been trying to like get a, a shortstop, right? And we tried to get Zach Neto, you know, and, and that's, that's on my name. I'm, I'm zooming ahead on, on, on the rundown here a little bit, but <laughs> that's a name for me because I did a, a leaderboard of, you know, guys under uh, 25 with uh, under 23% strikeout rate with good barrel rates. Uh, and Neto is on that list. He has really good uh, chase rates too. So we were trying to get Neto and we can't do it. Like even Verlander for Neto and Manaya got shut, shut down. And uh, it's, I think in this league, uh, I can't trade pitching for quality young bats. And so I wonder if the, if the, the, I think what you guys are sort of convincing me maybe is what if I could trade uh, Verlander for a young arm and throw in a prospect bat I like, you know, that's not one that's in the major leagues, but you know, like that CES idea, you know, it's like, give me, give me a young pitcher that I like better than you like. Maybe I'm buying a rebound here uh, and I'm giving you Justin friggin' Verlander and I want an actual good hitting prospect I like. 
because uh, selling pitching in this league has been difficult. Way back when I sold Carlos Carrasco for Ozzy Albies, and you know you felt ruined really good it. About oh, that's it. why it's so tough because you ruined it. You broke it for yourself. <laughs> yeah. I think I may have gotten Cody Bellinger in that deal too. Oh, come on. Well, yeah, no, no wonder they see you trying to trade. And they're like, no, we're not doing that with Eno anymore. I ruined it. How for much do you think? You know, if you're trying to make a deal. And, and there are long-term guys. Neto is a good long-term target. It's exactly what you're looking for. He hasn't gone off at the big league level yet. Yeah. He's playing a great shortstop, though. Clearly, it's his job for the next several years. Really nowhere to go but up. Underlying numbers look good. He makes all the sense in the world as a trade target. Getting a bundle of players, getting two or three players back for the one player you're giving away, I always like getting those extras back. And I think those extras matter because I think you can really try and dig in the corners of everybody's roster find players who are not currently helping a contending team and try to get them on your roster because you have the benefit of time. If this... Starting Neto, dude. I thought I was doing this. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's, but that's how you identify those players. It's, it's the easiest way to do it. If players just sitting on someone's bench and they're playing for now, they're much more likely to be willing to part with that player than if they've got Neto plugged in as their middle infielder and they've got that long view on top of that short-term view. They might have the same view of his skills that you do oh yeah yeah he's gonna be fine his second half might be better than his first half and that could happen but those are the types of players you want i think the easiest pitching to trade for hunter brown might be still pretty hard to trade for in a long-term league unless you're trading from the top of your roster to get him and getting him back as part of a, a two or three player package it's brandon fought it's gavin stone to some degree grayson rodriguez but grayson rodriguez no looks stone very fixable but fought, not stone I mean, for you <laughs> right. It's the guys that have bloated ratios, the guys that just didn't look good in their first attempt at the big leagues because there's that little bit of doubt. If you have those players in your roster, you, you can be convinced with a good offer that you don't need to wait it out with those guys and, and wait for their next opportunity and hope that they can correct their problems quickly. With Gavin Stone, maybe it's more complicated. Maybe it's more of a 2024 thing. With Fott, I still think there's a good chance we're going to see him delivering quality innings for the Diamondbacks in the second half of the season. Yeah, I think they're going to tinker. I think they're going to tinker with him. The command was obviously a big issue, and um, I don't know where it's going to go, if it's going to be an adjustment to maybe more change-up. They, they've got to tinker around with it a little bit because he was getting hit too hard. You know, um, it, it's inter- the, the names are interesting. Another one to maybe throw out there is Andrew Painter. You know, Andrew Painter was seen as the number one pitching prospect. He was he was everything. He was above Grayson. He was above all these guys with his stuff. But he's had this arm injury that's been lingering. He's just started kind of throwing. There's the worry of surgery coming. But that's another one of those players that it also depends on what level you're at of buying. Like if you're I kind of agree with, you know, I never like to like do full rebuilds. So full rebuild buying is probably more about players that are a year away but if you're in full rebuild and you commit to two, like let's say two years, Andrew Painter is the perfect guy to go acquire, especially if a winning team has him. Because even if he has, who cares if he has surgery? If he has surgery, outside of maybe you're worrying he's not who he was before when he comes back. But if you assume in how we've seen so many players come back, that would be another one of those players that you would want to go out and target. And probably is seen more in the price of the Grayson Rodriguez, Brandon fought right now, then he would be trying to acquire obviously Hunter Brown or, you know, Yuri, I think would be untradeable. Uh, you wouldn't even be able to go acquire right now. Yeah, I think that's a, it's a good point. I think the timing with the injured players. So if you're playing for next season, O'Neill Cruz is a good target right now. It's my number one. Yeah, that would be the number yeah. one player I put on the list. If I'm trying to go out right now, 
you just cross your fingers that the person that has O'Neill Cruz is winning. Because if they're if it's, 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 it's an out team, it's you can't do anything about it. O'Neill Cruz would be one hundred percent someone I would be attempting to go and get, and just hope that that team is trying to win. He's just starting to ramp up. He's starting to get a little bit of activity going. If he come, I don't even care. Like off. it's not about him even coming back in August. It's like he's gonna still cost a ton, but it goes from no way was he acquirable, especially with how he started off the year, to now you know, you could get something done. You know, you might have to move a couple pieces, maybe something that hurts, but O'Neill Cruz, I think is such a great, he's an out of sight, out of mind type of guy that I would be looking to acquire right now. Yeah. I think that's, that's a great one. I, you know, I'm trying to get, uh, you know, pricing. That's uh, it's a little bit easier even <laughs> than Cruz. It might, we've been saying on this cast about all these, these deals that we wouldn't do for Cruz. Uh, so that might be pretty expensive. So I did do this list of uh, under 25-year-olds with a strikeout rate under 23 sorted by barrel rate. And then what I wanted to do was look at uh, guys who were that had a, a worse than a 110 WRC+. plus. So a little bit of buy-low action too, right? Like, so I'm not going to buy, um, you know, Josh Lau, Low? Josh Low, Low right now. Um, at a 163 WRC plus, even though he's fourth on this list by barrel rate. And I do think he's very exciting. If you do think you can fashion a buy high that isn't insane, then, then go for it. But I'm looking for a little bit of buy low sprinkled in. And if you do that, the list, the names that jump off this list are Zach Neto, Miguel Vargas, uh, Kbert Ruiz, um, and, uh, Bobby Witt Jr. Uh, as all guys and Brett Beatty. So I like all these guys and, you know, I wouldn't get too fixated on any one of them. You know, like uh, if there's if those five guys are available in your league, like maybe just fire off five trade offers that are at a place that you like that don't give up too much and then find out, you know, tomorrow which one you got, you know, because I like all of them. You know, Miguel Vargas, you know, plays second base, power, speed, a really good eye. Uh, already above average with the bat. I think they're going to keep trying him there. He's he's he's, he's not going to run out of uh, out of uh, out of time there. Zach Neto, same thing. He's got that deal. Cabert Ruiz is definitely going to be the catcher forever there, and you know he's he's not striking out. And there's seven percent barrel rate there. He could hit for power. And Brett Beatty looks like uh, the the future at third base in New York City. You know. Um, and he just needs to lift it a little bit, tiny bit more. But even if he just kept doing what he's doing right now, I think he'd be like a 280 hitter with 20 homers and a tons of runs in RBI. Bobby Witt, though, I think is the one you'd be aggressive on. I agree with the majority of that list. I like Beatty. I really like Miguel maybe, Vargas. Maybe do the Bobby Witt trade offer first. Yeah, and, I, and I would try to get him. That one, I think people are having a hard time like wrapping their heads around. And I, I think there's a lot of underlying stuff that play in favor of Bobby Witt. He's hitting it hard. Um, Julio's starting to turn it around. I don't think Bobby has quite done that to that level. And that's why, you know, I, I think I mentioned like last week I did that one, uh, I did a poll of like, you know, rest of season, who did you want, Trey Turner or Bobby Witt Jr.? And, you know, it seemed fun, but people were like, oh, I'm still go with Trey Turner. But it's like, you know, long-term, Bobby Witt's already... Gets closer and closer. It's getting closer <laughs> and closer. And I still think he's in a really good spot where... This is kind of like what I said with O'Neill Cruz. I think Bobby Witt's more acquirable. It doesn't mean it's easy, and it doesn't mean you can rattle off, you know, Glaber Torres. You'd be like, I'll give you Glaber Torres and, you know, whatever. You know, Miguel Castro. Those guys are good, right? For, you're not going to do that. But, like, 
just people listen, I think, a little bit more. People might be worried, oh, sophomore slump, maybe he doesn't have the batting average. Maybe he bad doesn't OBP. belong. People talk about the bad OBP a lot. Yeah, so I like that it's one. That fact, one would be I, more aggressive. I don't think it's a fact that's written in stone for the rest of his career that he's going to have a sub-300 OBP. I also think it's interesting if you look at rest-of-season projections, you could get more grounded in something like that. Trey versus Bobby Witt Jr. for the rest of the season, they're what, less than a little over $2 apart in auction calculator for a 15-team league using the Bat-X for the rest of this season. $2 is not a lot for the rest of the season. That is more of a toss-up than people would think. It's not an obvious go-with-the-track-record situation. And in the dynasty context, it would be totally worth it. Send him Trey Turner and get Bobby Wood Jr. Yep. Right. You want to get younger at that position, of course. And Turner, I've I've wondered for a long time, you know, how, how well will Trey Turner's speed age well it's right? still 99th percentile <laughs> right he's gonna turn 30 at the end of june so how many more years of peak speed trey turner do we have and then how much of what has happened in the first two months of his time with the phillies is being attributed to being in a new environment having that massive contract being maybe a little more aggressive and doing some of the things we've seen guys do when they get that big deal how much of that is still correctable we saw him chasing pitches outside the zone more than ever last year. This is part of a longer-term trend for him. So maybe there maybe there was more to it last season than we gave it credit for. Uh, I'm a little surprised, too, that you know for the, the aggressiveness, that the power hasn't been on last year's level. It's not way off in terms of homers, but it's down quite a bit in terms of slug. Trey Turner slugged 466 last year. He's only slugging 383 so far here through 52 games in 2023. So he's really interesting in a long-term league. If you're not winning right now, and there are teams out there interested in Trey Turner, and there should be teams interested in Trey Turner, how much are you getting even if you are selling at a relative low point compared to his you know, last five years? So O'Neill Cruz, a player that we're going after. Uh, Drew Gilbert, also on your list, Welsh. A prospect moving up the ranks that you, you want to go get if you're playing for the future. Yeah, like I just wanted to put like a different collection of guys uh, that meet different requirements you know i got like a pitcher in there i've got an injured hitter and these guys that are you know double a hitters and up would probably be a focus drew gilbert just stands out to me as a player that hasn't again i don't think he's moved into the real tier of where his value belongs i think this guy's like a top 25 overall prospect might be seen as 50 out uh he just got up to double a he was hitting 360 in high A, six homers, four stolen bases in 21 games. Got a promotion. He's hitting 315 in double A right now. Two more stolen bases. So he's up to seven homers, six stolen bases in just under 40 games this year. Strikeout rate has lowered at double A. Walk rate has risen. A little bit smaller guy, five foot nine, but there's muscle. He absolutely explodes on the baseball. Um, the level of like how big the offensive output is going to be is maybe a little bit in question. There actually might even be some like Bregman in his uh, in his game, but he's obviously an outfielder. But you know, twenty twenty is on the table. I, I hate to like I like arbitrary numbers, kind of like you DVR. So like I'll just be like fifteen, fifteen, twenty, twenty. I like to like throw out arbitrary <laughs> numbers like that. But like Drew Gilbert is the type of guy that I think can put up those type of numbers, and it's also going to come with a really good batting average. And once you hit double A kind of on the clock, you know, like anything is possible. And this, but Drew Gilbert's different because this was a college bat. Like there's a guy we're going to talk about, Junior Caminero, who is arguably a top 10 prospect in baseball right now with the Rays. And he just got up to double A. But his world to me is different than Drew Gilbert's world. 
You know, Caminero has been coming, I mean, what was it, two years ago in the Dominican Summer League? Drew Gilbert two years ago was playing college baseball. Like, the Astros could bring up Drew Gilbert any time. They could bring him. I think Drew Gilbert is an option for September, and then he can break camp next year as one of their big outfielders. All the issues they've had with Brantley, like Corey Jolkson, those aren't the options. Drew Gilbert is a guy I think that could break this roster at the beginning of spring training next year. Caminero, I don't, but I do think he'll be up next year. Not to say that that makes Gilbert worth more, but Gilbert, I think, just has not caught up to the the prospect excitement. And I think he's going to be a great player. I don't know if he'll be a superstar, but I love the way he hits the ball. And this is very Matt Mervisy, where you move up levels, you improve your strikeout rate, and you walk even more while still hitting over 300 I'm very much a Drew Gilbert fan, and I would try to be getting him in trades. It, it's just funny. It's a strange time of year because this is when a lot of players get bumped up a level. Caminero got bumped up to double A. Marcelo Mayer, I think, has been bumped up to double A. Yep. James Wood was bumped up to double A. And that level jump tends to make players more expensive via trade. If you're trying to move for the future, the guys that already got bumped to double A, especially if they're having early success, they're harder to trade for right now. Because double A tells us end. next year is possible, yeah. and that this year, this happened before June. To point out, by the way, these are some serious prospects before June that moved to double A. That means anything could happen when double A hits. Guys get called up from double A; they don't get called up from uh, high A. So that I think that's what goes with the cost. But the key is also seeing guys continue to succeed at double A because the jump from high A to double A is such a huge step that what happens and this is this is an inverse of what you just said by the way i would look for guys that we love the tools we love the pedigree we love the production that go from high a to double a and then start to struggle and people go ah crap i can't do this it's all over it's not all over the jump is so intense that's a time where i would look to buy if guys have a you know as long as like the strikeout rate didn't go from 19% to 45% or something you know if like <laughs> the same basic tools are still in play but they're just kind of struggling I find that to be an incredible time to buy because of what this jump is. But it also tells us a story when guys continue or further dominate at those levels. It shows it just shows their maturation and how maybe far along their skills are and their tools. And that's kind of what I feel about Drew Gilbert. Like, I think he could be at AAA, um, you know, coming off of the uh, Futures game. Yeah, I, I think those are all very good points to to consider. And I think it's. It's easy for me to look at a, a prospect list and see you know, who hasn't reached double A yet, but who's still very highly ranked in the eyes of of the prospect analysts out there. And that to me describes Drew Jones right now. And we know part of the reason he's where he's at, he's been slowed by injuries, right? He's at regular A, not low A well, anymore. It's just single he's A. He's actually here ridiculous. right now in Phoenix. Not to, he is technically in Visalia, but he's injured and he's been rehabbing and playing an extended spring training game, just letting people know he has been playing, which is good for the last week. And um, he told somebody that he looks to be going back to Visalia very shortly, but rookie ball starts up next Tuesday, I believe it is. So there's a possibility that they hold him back and they play in a couple of those, but he not only is he A ball, He's here rehabbing and playing in games, and I think they're holding him back a tiny bit more because the struggles have been pretty apparent. He even tweeted about it a couple months back about his early struggles. And I, I think I love the long-term future. We're not saying that Drew Jones's long-term future is radically different because of the struggles so far, but I'm in a league where I'm playing for this season. There are several teams pushing all their chips in, 
I am happy to trade Drew Jones right now to get help immediately because Drew, Drew Jones is so far away from helping me. And the other part of this, the other stops he can make on the prospect ladder, trade value-wise, are not that much higher than they are right now. I can already get a lot back for him in a trade today. So waiting for him to play better, waiting for him to maybe move up a level and play well at high A or something later this summer, it's not going to change the way the league feels about him. So, you know, why not move him now? Why not go ahead and, and push him in but for and what? say, yeah, you know. But like, how, how do you, I think he's, in, I think he's so tough to trade because the potential is so sky high, but no one's going to want to pay premium. I th- I feel like those trades are like, you got to give away Drew Jones to get Jordan Romano and like, you know, a mid, a mid pitcher. I, I can't even think of the guy like Garrett Whitlock, you know, or something like that. I feel like that's what people want to do. Or here's James Paxton and Jordan Romano. Give me Drew Jones. And those are ones I just, I can't do. I couldn't, even if I'm winning, I can't do that. Yeah, those I wouldn't do, but I'd still be looking for, and this is this league I'm talking about. It also helps the league context matters. If you're in a keep three or a keep five or something with salaries, yeah. The high-salaried star-level players that aren't necessarily great keepers because you might throw them back and they might be available in the draft or the auction again next year, those players don't carry a ton of trade value. And if you have them and you're not winning this year, you want someone who's going to make an impact in the long run back in the return. So it's kind of a win-win scenario in those leagues. I would agree with you, though. If you're in a full, like straight-up dynasty league and the Romano plus something else offers are what you're getting, I don't think that's enough to get me to move Drew Jones right now. But I think the younger prospects especially, Jackson Merrill's on that same team for me. Like Jackson Merrill long-term, I have no hesitation in packaging him as part of a, a deal right now to make my team better for this season. And on the inverse, and this goes to Eno real quick, is that there are, when we were doing this exercise, of just kind of looking, I was going through my list, and and I could like, just kind of tell you, I probably move anybody. I am actually, as a prospect person, I'm more willing to move prospects just in general because I feel comfortable with how I can like replenish my system. And, and I obviously have like a very targeted need. So at the end of the day, I could target names for you, but I probably would move anybody except I said to you guys before, and there's two guys. I don't think there's any scenario where I trade and it's Jackson holiday and Ellie De La Cruz. Those are the guys near the top. I could not move them under any scenario. And, you know, you are being bombarded left and right on Ellie De La Cruz. And that's just one that, you know, you're you're just not moving Ellie, probably under most scenarios, at least of what you've seen. Yeah, I'm like, I'm, si- I'm in sixth, right? And that's for George Springer. And I'm like, uh, in auto new. And I'm like, I just, Mm-mm. no, I don't think so. The other name on that list, though, was uh, that people are interested in is Pete Crow Armstrong, who, you know, I I also like, um, you know, as a guy who makes good contact uh, and uh, looks like he has power and speed as a five tool guy. Like he's in double A and he's he's doing pretty well. Um, And, you know, I think something to remember also is you look at that and you say, well, 111 WRC plus for Pete Crow Armstrong is not that impressive. He's only 11% better than the league in in double in A. Uh, well, then you have to look at his age, 21. Uh, and the average age in double A is 24. And um, this guy that I like, uh, Nathan Stoltz, um, he did uh, some research that suggests that every age, every year of age uh, that you're off of the average is worth 25 points of WRC+. Plus. Hmm. So uh, he's 21 in double A and the average is 24. 
like that's almost like having a a 180 RWRC plus at 24 years old. So, hmm. you know, this was an interesting piece um, that I can I can send the uh, URL to uh, DVR to put in the show notes, but. Um, I don't think I've seen agent level quantified that much. And I would say that before I read this piece, I thought agent level was not worth as much as this piece suggested. 25 points of WRC plus per, per year is a big, big deal. And so I would take these ages and sort of learn them by heart. Here are the ages. Low A, 21 and a half. High A, 23. Double A, 24.4. And then AAA doesn't matter as much. It's a different league, but 27. So if you're if you remember those ages, if you're looking at players, I was just looking through some high A guys, uh, being like, if I want to shop in the high A bin, I just want to pick the guy up. I want to pick up the next junior Caminero. I don't want to trade for junior Caminero. I want to pick up the next one. So I was trying to look through WRC plus, look at ages, and a guy named Blaze Jordan kind of jumps off the list. Another thing that I like about Blaze Jordan is he's in the Boston. Uh, he's in the Boston Red Sox organization, and they're going heavy into weighted bats this year. So David Hamilton is another name uh, that's closer to the big leagues that has uh, gained a lot from using weighted bats this year. Nick York is another name in that organization that's gained power this year off of a weighted bat program. So, you know, those are, I would want to uh, buy in places where people have made their decisions on Nick York. I would I love think for most part people have labeled him a bust. Yeah. I... David Hamilton is a no name. Blaze Jordan is a no name. Pick these guys up, put them on your roster, stash them, don't trade for them. Nick York had a pretty good AFL. He was a doubles machine. He just wasn't able to tap into any of the power. So I think that's interesting. I would also love the inverse work done from that article of players that are um because I, I, I'm very, very focused on age to level, but players that are aged out to a level and if we would if we would take off wrc plus because people lose their mind about you know a 22 or 22 and a half year old or 23 year old dominating at low a and it's like well that's two years above age level so we shouldn't even i guess what you could do is if their wrc plus was 180 just subtract the 50 from it if you want to get like uh, but i feel like there maybe there's even more of math in there because it's like, but I guess that it always works at the end. If a guy's only a hundred, you know, or one hundred five WRC plus at twenty three at a ball, that's really more like you know, insanely below average at like a fifty or something like that. So maybe yeah. you could take that same thing and apply it to players that are. Um, and he means tested it where he looked at actual players, and it's it seemed to actually work out the different stuff that's that he came up with. So. Um, you know, like a young guy that looks like he's just keeping his head above water somewhere you, you got to keep your eye on that so yeah. and that doesn't always show up you got maybe you got to do search where you re- keep the age real low and you find the 17 year old at double a who has a 105 wrc plus and you're like wait <laughs> this is actually pretty sweet you know <laughs> yeah uh, he also oh. had a, a little weird thing in there that um that a year of experience is worth something like one third a year of age so a player drafted after his junior year of college is functionally only around two years older than a high school draftee born three years earlier. Hmm. Does that make sense? So almost it almost it almost clicked and made sense, and then I got lost right at the end. So repeat a that. Player one more time. drafted after a junior year of college is functionally only around two years older than a high school draftee born three years earlier. 
Okay, so because so it's, it's, it's not one for one. Like every year in college is not actually equal to a year of development. You actually don't you don't gain a full year of development each year in college. And there might only yeah. be a year of development difference between a high school bat and a junior college bat is also yeah. where I took out of that instead of three years of development. That's interesting. Which I also, by the way, I kind of literally just laid out with Drew Gilbert versus Caminero, um, which, you know, that might go against what I was saying a little bit, but you know, that they're about on the same path though. I think that actually also mm-hmm. tells that actually might tell the story of Drew Gilbert and Caminero being at the same level. Developmentally, Drew Gilbert might be just a year ahead and he would be a guy that would come up before a guy like Junior Caminero. So mm-hmm. that's interesting. It's all fun. If you, if you were going to buy into the age to level adjustments to WRC plus, I was looking at the double A leaderboard, Aurelvis Martinez, who's having a very strange season actually makes a lot of sense as someone to target in a keeper or dynasty mm-hmm. league right now. Right around league average, but doing it with a 175, 281, 489 line. 23% K rate, not a scary K rate, draws walks, still might have a brighter future than the numbers would suggest if you're buying into that aged level, you know, value that's possibly there. So yeah, and you if you do uh if you do like a like keep the age under 21 for double A so that you got guys who are three years under uh, league average in Double A. One of my favorite names jumps to the top of the list, Colt Keith. Yeah, mm. and he doesn't uh, jump to the top of the list necessarily. It's a little bit like Nick York and Noel Vimarte, where you say, "Oh, they're doing okay." Well, they're twenty-one at Double A instead of twenty-four, um, and so the, those are all uh, game, names that become more interesting to me once I put the age focus. Like Jason Dominguez. A 115 uh, stuff, a 115 WRC plus in Double A. He's 20 years old, and he's stealing. I'm pretty excited. Made a made a move to get him a few weeks ago before Ian Khan and Steve Gardner broke <laughs> one of the Khan keeper leagues I'm in and, and shattered. They shattered the trade market. If you start running away with a keeper league, the other buyers they won't give you that much because they don't think they're going to catch the team in first. Oh, so then God, that, you get yeah. screwed as a team that's not playing for right now. So you have to be very mindful of that too. That's why waiting till Memorial Day is not always a good idea. Mm. Sometimes you got to make that decision sooner before that market gets completely broken. Uh, on that note. We are going to go. If you got questions for a future episode, ratesandbarrels at gmail.com is the best way to send those in. On Twitter, Welsh is at is it the Welsh. Eno is at Enoceris. I am at Derek Van Riper. Be sure to hit the like button on this video if you're watching us on YouTube. Subscribe to the YouTube channel if you want to see the pictures we're talking about. We used one on this episode, so you missed out on one rolling graph if you listen to the audio-only version of this podcast. That's going to do it for this episode of Rates and Barrels. We're back with you on Wednesday. Thanks for listening. Thank you.